The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Join us as Pastor Randy Rehm shares truths from God's unchanging Word. Witnesses. He's got a bunch of witnesses for this miracle. I mean, he had 5,000, 15,000 about, with the feeding of the loaves and the fish. But this is raising a dead guy. i got to see that to believe it. So there's a whole bunch of it came to Mary and Martha to console them. That's verse 18. That's where we get to the part where Martha hears Jesus is coming. We're not sure how far. She runs out to meet him. Mary stays at the house. Why would that be? Because we know from another story, Mary's the hospitality person. If there's another story, if you know, where Mary and Martha, Jesus is in their house, and Mary's the one doing the dishes and cleaning and the cooking, and she's, she's going to be the hostess, and Martha's just sitting at Jesus' feet. Wait a minute, it's unfair, I'm doing all the work. If you remember that story. So Mary, one of them, the family members, has to stay there with, I'll say the guests, those that are coming there to, to mourn with them. But Martha runs out to meet him. Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. But as we saw already, even if Jesus left when the messenger, he, when he showed up, Lazarus may have already been dead. So we're not sure if Jesus would have, he could have teleported there, but just walking like he typically, like he always did in the, when he was in uh, the human form. All right, uh, He came and that may have been dead anyway, but if you'd have been here, he would not have died. They, they're assuming Jesus would have just healed him. Because it seems to be that anybody that Jesus confronted ran across, whether it was by the pool of Bethesda, whether it was on the road to somewhere else, whether it was coming along and there was a funeral procession, that, that Jesus would heal these folks, or raise them in that case. And even now, she says, I know that whatever you ask, God will give you. Did you think she was asking for him to be raised from the dead? Or even though you weren't here, and it didn't work. I still believe in you. I still believe you can do what God will do whatever you ask. That's the way I see it. Because we don't see any signs here that they're believing that he'll raise. Because, no, no, don't roll away the stone. He stinks. If you believed he was going to do it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't have questioned that. And she, he says, your brother will rise again. Martha says, yeah, I know he'll rise again in that no final resurrection time. Then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, will live even if he dies. Say what? See, that's a contradiction. No, it's a paradox. Because die and live in two different senses. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Not, not have everlasting life, then die, and not have ever, that life die and then you get another everlasting life if you come back and repent again. And then all that stuff. We've talked about that. Jesus himself did. Do you believe this? That I am the resurrection. Whoever lives, believes in me will have this eternal life and they'll never die, even if they die. She said, yes. Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. That is not what he asked. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. What's world mean? Every person that ever lived, right? That's the way everybody reads it. Everywhere else in John, they think world means everybody. No, he came into the world. Into every person? No, into the realm of human existence. Humanity. He didn't come into the earth, the dirt and the ground, the stars in the sky. He came 
in human form into humanity. Uh, you guys know why I point that out. Because too many people want to see the word cosmos as meaning every person in particular verses. When she said this, she went away, called Mary, her sister, saying secretly, quietly, it's not so everybody else can hear, the teacher is calling for you. And when she heard that, she got up quickly and was coming to him. If I can take back one chapter. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. Apparently somewhere in the conversation that Jesus has with Martha, ask Mary, tell Mary I'd like to talk to her. Martha goes to Mary and says, he's asking for you. Now though, Martha's there. There's a host there. Mary can leave. Uh, some of you might relate to this. Some of you are that kind of person that you're not going to leave your guest. But now Mar Martha's back. Now he's calling, and so I could do this. Some people would struggle with leaving if Martha was gone. I'm sorry, there are people who have that. Not I'm sorry, but just people have that personality. You just got to do proper. You're talking about my wife now, folks. Okay, she's that way. Now Jesus had not yet come to the village. He was still at the place where Martha met him. Wait a minute, wait a minute. If you're going there anyway, why did you call Mary out here? Why don't you just wait to get there and talk to Mary? I'm not the only one that thinks that way, is it? Don't you guys ask those kind of questions? Hmm. But here's the point. He's waiting there. Now, the, all the people that were there to help console, to mourn with him, they see Mary get up and go out. Oh, she must be going to the tomb. They follow her. She's not going to the tomb. She's going to meet Jesus. So all of them are there to hear what Jesus says to Mary. She falls at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. They act like there's another option. If you had been here. <laughs> Sorry, it wasn't his time yet. There's only 12 hours a day, and you ain't going to change that, and you're not going to change God's timing. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews that came with her weeping, he was deeply moved. Jesus was moved by their pain. Jesus, the human being, was moved by their pain, their loss, their grief. Now, he knows what's coming. He's, he's not moved because Lazarus is dead. He's moved because he knows the people he loves are hurting. And was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, come see. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Now, some people want to say Jesus wept because of their unbelief. It doesn't say that. He was moved and understand their pain in the process. Now, he also knew he was the answer to the problem. But it doesn't stop him from feeling their grief. So some of the folks see how he loved him. Others, I don't buy it. If he really loved him, he'd have been here. I mean, that's sort of... See how he loved him. But, contrastive conjunction, some of them said, could not have he'd if he could open the eyes of the blind guy, couldn't he have been here and kept this guy from dying? <laughs> now listen again. So Jesus, again, being deeply moved, within, came to the tomb. Now it's a cave. There's a stone in front of it. Verse 39, Jesus says, move the stone. Martha goes, you sure about that? Because by this point, it stinks. Now some of you may have been around dead that's been there a long time, but by the time you set in the funeral home, and that friend or relatives and, you know, put in the casket and have the open casket, they've taken care of the body in such a way that that's not the case. They did, this isn't the case. You wrapped him up some cloth, laid him on a slab in a cave. But now he stinks. It's been four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory 
of God. Okay, um, go ahead, move the stone. I'm not sure they had a picture of everything, but with that statement, that convinced him enough to say, okay, I'm not, I'm not going to... If you say we'll see the glory of God, move the stone, guys. Now, it said it to them. He told them to roll away the stone. Not one. Them. What comes That will become important later. So they removed a stone, and Jesus lifted his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard. When? When he said this. This sickness will not end in death. I know you heard me when I said that. But because of the people standing here, I said it. Now, wait a minute. Who heard it? Who heard him say that? His disciples heard him. The messenger heard him. Maybe these people heard it when the messenger came back. He didn't say it right there in front of all all the people that were there, necessarily. So that they may believe you sent me. So now we have, we have the people standing there. We have the Pharisees themselves, that they would believe what Jesus does instead of what just, he just says. Then you have the disciples so that they would believe. And then you have whoever else is here so they would believe. When he said these things, he cried out with a voice, loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now many of ministers, you've probably heard this before, what if Jesus had just said, come forth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember, he calls the sheep by name. Lazarus, you come forth. Now, Lazarus has been dead for four days. Where has he been? Hawaii? <laughs> now, I want you to think about that. Where has he been? In the bosom of Abraham is the, is the term we could use right out of Scripture, that paradise. Okay, not, not an eternal new heaven and new earth, but wherever that is. I don't know about you. If I was Lazarus, I'd go, no, I ain't coming back. <laughs> I want you to imagine, too, Mary, Martha, the friends, they watch Lazarus die. They watch Lazarus resurrect from the dead. Lazarus will die again. I wonder how they handled it the second time. I wonder if there was so much weeping that time. Because they've seen, he will resurrect. Because Jesus said, do you believe I am the resurrection life who believes in me? Though they die, yet shall he live. Uh, he dies that last time, whatever age it was, whatever from. I wonder if there was... Weeping that time. I can imagine Lazarus, though. Oh, please, let me go. I've been there, done that. One of the things I find intriguing here is Jesus could have commanded the stone to move. He calmed the storm. He commands the winds and the waves. He multiplies, makes, makes bread and fish out of nothing. He creates, and there it is. He could have said, stone, move. But he has somebody move the stone. He could have had the wrappings just fall off. But he tells the people, you unwrap him and let him free. Lazarus, whose name means God our helper, needed help from his friends. Now, there's several applications to this, and, and I will touch, I think, on the most significant one last. I think the first application is God's timing. If you'd had been here, we thought the timing was different. We thought you'd come and take care of this, but it didn't work according to our timing. Now, we're not talking about a bill being paid. We're not talking about getting the car fixed. We're talking about a family member dying. Well, why didn't God meet it before the bill was due? Go way past that. This is someone dying. I, I think many of you have been there, especially if the, the people are younger and we, we, we think for some reason it's unjust when they die young. Why didn't God heal? That's what the easily... If you'd have been here, why weren't you here? Why did, why, why did we have to go through this suffering? 
And I think the biggest, the next part of that is God's purpose. We can't see the purpose in God's timing. We, we don't understand why God's let culture run the way it is and sin to be so rampant in, in the world. We don't, God, why don't you, why didn't you, how come? I remember when my nephew passed away just after his eighth birthday from a tumor. We all had those questions. But God has a purpose. Now, in this case, was the purpose Lazarus raising from the dead? No, it was the glory of God. Just like we ran into a man born blind. This guy was a baby, never seen a thing. All of his life, he didn't get to see. How unfair. But God's timing was it. Yeah, but he got to see what other person goes their whole life blind and doesn't. It's still for God's glory. Third, our sufferings are trials. In the end, aren't a matter or isn't about us. It's about the glory of God. When we see the glory of God manifested in our suffering, now it could be this way, just sustaining you emotionally through that suffering, through that time of trial. To be honest, I don't know how a non-believer makes it in this world. I don't know how they stay married. I, I, I don't know how they raise kids. I don't know, just in my own struggles, in my own life, I get to see the glory of God and my faith is stirred because I see him even when he carries me through the difficulty, through the trial, not pulls me out of it. You have to go through it. My nephew didn't raise from the dead, but he carries you through that stuff. But I also know this. When in our suffering, we make sure that God gets the glory in our suffering by an attitude and a heart and so on, the world hates it. Just like it says here, and they won. They, you'll see in the next few verses as we come to you, because they hear what Jesus did, they don't go, oh, you're right. He's doing the works of the Father. We need to believe. No, this is, we got, what are we going to do with Jesus? And they plot to kill him. I hear this, uh, and you do too. Uh, if there is a God, at least a good, powerful one, why is there so much suffering in the world? See, they don't see in any way how suffering glorifies God. Because they're human-centered, not God-centered. They can't understand spiritual things. That, that's all they see is suffering. They go, there can't be a God if. But this ain't about you. This ain't about me. This isn't about Democrats or Republicans, Americans, Canadians, Britons, Africans. Not, not about that. It's about God getting the glory. When I don't think there's going to be a person standing before God, before Christ on the judgment day and go, oh, I still don't get why you did that. I think they're going to go, oh, 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 I'm sorry I ever questioned it. Because everything else, all the suffering that they've ever seen pales and compared to the holiness of God. They will recognize the suffering of this present life is nothing compared to that glory. Whether they get to participate in it or not. And the fourth thing is Jesus understands. Jesus had a friend, just like you and I have a friend, that he had emotional connection with. People that he loved and cared for. He was touched by those friends around that were grieving. Hebrews chapter 4, I think you've heard this before. For we do not have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but has been tempted in all things just as we are, yet without sin. You say, how can that be? Because there's only three ways we were tempted, by lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, the pride of life. 
That's it. Therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why, why do I approach the throne of grace with confidence? Because Jesus can empathize, understand where we... He walked in human shoes, feet, so that we might receive mercy and grace for help at the time of our need. When we're suffering, when we're weeping, we can go to Christ, our mediator, our intercessor, our high priest, and he goes, yeah, I've been there. I've wept too. I know what it's like when I see the suffering coming. Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass. He saw the suffering coming and, and sweat drops of blood. He can relate. He's not so far up there, some transcendent thing, that he doesn't get where you are, that he doesn't understand who your situation is. And I think you and I both know, all of us know, that the most painful things we really suffer are not physical. They tend to be emotional. Just watch Dr. Phil. Don't watch Dr. Phil. People can't get over things that happened to when they were four. You know what I'm saying? People don't go to church because somebody hurt their feelings. They get divorced because they got hurt in the divorce. Nobody stabbed him literally, but they were stabbed. It's that emotional side, really. Jesus doesn't have to have cancer to relate to your suffering. He got nailed to a cross. By the way, do you guys know during the third servile war in Rome, about 72 to 70 B.C., B.C., 90 years before Christ was crucified, somewhere there, 93 years, the Romans crucified 11,000 slaves on the Appian Way. By the time it came to Jesus, they had it down. Anybody ever seen the movie Spartacus? Remember that old movie? Yeah, that's that story of the Third Servile Rebellion or War where the slaves, the gladiators uprising, and the ones that survived were nailed to cross. 11,000 crucifixions. When they got to Jesus, they were experts at nailing people to a cross. Finally, Ecclesiastes 8 and 8. No man has the authority to restrain the wind. So also, no man has authority over the day of their death. When 9-11 happened, John MacArthur, if you know who he is anyway, he was interviewed on Larry King. And they, they asked him, you know, what's the purpose of all this? What's this all about? Here was, this was Larry King's answer, or John MacArthur's answer. Nobody knows the day they're going to die. We, we can't pick the day we die. The question is, when you do, will you be resurrected again? Do you believe that he is the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in him, even though he dies, he will live? This is really the message here. You have Lazarus, who's dead, completely, absolutely. You could go into that tomb and try to sell him a new TV, and he ain't going to make a choice to buy it. He's dead. Then, on his own initiative, Jesus comes and calls him out of death into life. He didn't ask Lazarus permission. Lazarus didn't have to cooperate with him. Jesus called him from death to life because Jesus is life, and he gives it to whom he pleases. Oops, that's a chapter back, isn't it? And they didn't like that because the Father gives life, and you claim to give life. In him is life. When he says, before Abraham was I am, 
I am life. I exist in and of myself. And if I call you from death to life, good luck. Nobody's stopping that. There's only 12 hours in a day. You can't change a day. And you ain't going to change it when I call the dead to life. But what's interesting about this? He calls Lazarus from death to life. But he had to have, had to, he chose to use the help of others. He chose someone else to roll the stone away so he can hear the voice clearly. How can they believe in, how can they call upon the one in whom they have not believe? How they believe unless someone is heard? How can heard unless someone preaches, rolls away the stone? God uses people to draw people from death to life. Then he gets out, he is out of the tomb and here he's standing there. Jesus could have come, and those things would have fell off, like leprosy off of a guy, like, like creating an eyeball for eyeballs for another guy. Or they, they, they just could have fell off at his command, but he didn't. He says, when you're brought from death to life, you need the help of friends. You need the help of friends to get the old grave clothes off. We call that sanctification. Yes, yes, I brought you from death to life. You're new. But there's still the old grave clothes. When I went off to Bible college, I hadn't been saved very long at all. Maybe a couple years. I still had grave clothes. If you'd have met me, you'd go, yeah, you're a seminary student. I could tell. Uh-uh. But there were many men in my life that helped me take off the grave clothes. Too many people think they can get drawn from death to life and then just walk around like this. Because they don't think they need the help of the body of Christ. No, he calls you from death to life. And he says, I put you with people. Now watch it. Those people were grieving, were they not? Over what? The dead one. But when he's brought to life, those same people are asked to help the one that was dead. Man, we're in Ephesians. On Wednesday night, oh, come be a part of that. It's good stuff. And it talks about the body. The body. To edify, to build up one another. To grow to maturity. You will stay in your grave clothes unless you get near people that will listen to Christ and help you take those grave clothes off. But I like my grave clothes, thank you. I've had them for four days. I'm comfortable with that. I know you sort of laugh, but it's true. Think about when you came to Christ, the stuff that you had, you didn't want to let go of. Your brothers and sisters in the Lord that were with you helped you in the process. Yes, the Holy Spirit's doing the work on, the, on that inside, but it's reinforced by others who bring the word of Christ continue back to back to back to you over and over again. I got a question texted me this week about, wait a minute, if, I, if, if, if um, marriage is a vow between a man and a woman and God, then why do we need a marriage license? Why can't we just make a vow to God and go live together? Well, I text them back some scriptures. One of them being, you've heard this before, Give every man an answer for the hope that lies within you. You know what the next verse is? Yeah, make sure you live with such a life, with such a reputation, that when they go to charge you with something, oops, they realize there's no credence to their charge against you. Why? And regarding, uh, to keep your testimony, to share the truth that lies within you. First thing first, the reason you don't do that is so when somebody wants to charge you with a sinful life, they can go, oops, that don't work. They do have a right testimony. And then I also went over to Corinthians where it says that, that if you cause a brother to stumble against their own conscience, not yours, theirs, you sin against Christ. So it's sin because you will cause someone to stumble living like that, and you sin against Christ. That's taking some grave clothes off, folks. A little bit painful sometimes, because the person I don't think wanted to hear that, and in the end they had to admit they're living in sin because they're living with someone and not married to them. But that's helping someone get the grave clothes off. 
Now, that person could get offended and hurt, say, I'm never going back to those church people again. All they do is judge. Yeah, you can do that. But you're going to miss out on a life free from those things. Now, many people, when Lazarus was raised from dead, he was alive. Satan couldn't have stopped it if he wanted to. But I think there's too many people walking around with their grave clothes still on. They've been transformed on the inside, but they think anything to do with getting off the grave clothes is legalism. The woman caught in adultery, go and sin no more. But, you know, you're under grace, it doesn't matter, go ahead. You're free. The Great Commission, go ye therefore make disciples of all nations, right? Baptize, to teaching them to obey everything I've said. That's getting grave clothes off. Are, are you in relationships, good friends, that you're willing to help, you're willing to let them help, or you're willing to help them in their stink? Yeah, yeah, I hate to tell you, helping people just come into Christ, they stink. They still have a lot of the world still on them. They use those nasty words, and I just can't do nasty words. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, did you, they, yeah, they still do. But God's given us the commission to help take the grave clothes off. First, to roll away the stones so the gospel is preached, so they're brought to life. Second is to help them once they're out. Well, yeah, but I like it better when they come in a suit and they smell good, if I could say it like that analogy. All right, doesn't matter if you wear a suit or not. We are called to help those who have been called from death to life to shed the grave clothes. And we are called to let those people help us as we're called from death to life. Let's stand. Sorry, I went a little over. You know, this should be three sermons. But where do you cut off the story of Lazarus? So he was dead. Goodbye. See you next week. I mean, there's so much more here. Um, So I had to go a little bit over. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are sovereign over life and death. No human being ever has been in control of the day of their death. God, you are sovereign over it. The question is, Lord, when we die, will we face your judgment or your reward? God, I thank you that you do come of us. You just called flat out by name. You pulled, pulled us out of the grave by your command itself. God, that it didn't have to rely on my ability to get up off that gravestone. It was all you. But God, also help us to recognize, I pray, that we, we are called into a body that is there to help us remove our grave clothes, to draw closer to you, to become holier, if I could say it like that. And God, those of us in the body, help us remember that often you bring people that stink, but you've called us to assist them in removing their grave clothes and gentleness and love and meekness. God, help us if we have judged those that have come in grave clothes. All we were worried about is the stink. Forgive us, O God, when we have done that. Father, I pray for those right now that you are calling forth from the grave, those who you sovereignly chose by the preaching of this word to remove the stone. God, that they would find a body, that there would people that would love them as they move into this new place of living, as you've transformed them from the old to the new, from the dark to the light, that you would surround them, O God, with brothers and sisters in Christ who will disciple them and help them grow. In Christ's name I pray, amen. This is Stephen Wilson, and we want to thank you for joining us today, and we hope you were blessed by today's message. Truths from God's Unchanging Word is an outreach ministry of Kindred Bible Church in Caldwell, Idaho. If you would like to listen to other messages by Pastor Randy or learn more about Kindred Bible Church, visit kindredbible.org. Our prayer for you is that you grow closer to Christ as we study the truths from God's unchanging Word.